This is Tailgate Ted. I'm Ari Mara from PFF. Hey guys, it's Brittany Wagner from Last Chance U. This is uh, Ken Harvey. I'm in the field, Jeff Crossfit. Kwame Lewis. I'm Renee Washington. Kendall Fuller. And I'm Fred <laughs> This is Logan Thomas. I'm Jonathan Allen. I'm London Fletcher, the captain. I'm Julie Donaldson, and you are watching. And you're watching? And you are watching. Rapid District. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to After the Whistle here on Ref the District, where we go beyond sports and get to know the person. I'm Nathan, that's Trev, and that's Stoner. And we have a wonderful guest today, and uh, he's being brought on for many reasons, not just the burgundy and gold reasons, but also the fact that he has a great story about his recovery from injury, as told in a dream worth fighting for, Never let obstacles stop you from being your best self. He is the co-author with William Sachs being the other author. Let's welcome Tim Hightower to the Ref the District here. Thanks for joining us, Mr. Hightower. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fantastic. I appreciate it. Now, most of our audience, we're going to get to the, the book contents and, and your current role with the Washington Commanders, but most of our audience is actually going to be familiar with you as you know a running back that used to play for the Burgundy and Gold. What was it like playing for your hometown? You're from Alexandria. What was it playing like playing for your hometown Washington Redskins? Well, my head was a little bit heavier with all the hair. That's my first so, thought. Yeah. Dreadlocks, man. Look, that's what happens four kids later. Your, your hair just starts falling <laughs> out, man. Um, no, it was – look, I grew up in in, in, the, in PG County, and it was uh, – you know, there are a lot of people who supported me in my journey, uh, whether it's coaches, friends, teachers, uh, uh, church, uh, family, and things like that. And so getting a chance to come home, to be traded and come – come home essentially uh, it was awesome it was awesome because all those people who poured into you growing up they get a chance to see it uh, you know a lot more ticket requests for sure every single week but but it was great um, we're going to kind of transition into this throughout the interview but now you're back affiliated with the Washington organization the commanders now not as a player but as in charge of the alumni and everything there can you tell us a little bit about like how that came about and what that means for the, for the organization yeah, it's a full. It's, I mean, it's special. It's, it's a. It's you know, for me personally, um, it's something that you know. Some people have a job, but some people also have a calling, and there's sometimes where that can that can go together, right? Those can align. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, those can align. And for me, getting a chance to come full circle, where my career was was derailed, it was cut short and 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 uh, supposedly finished here in Washington, and I didn't want that to be. Oh man. I remember you were you, you were pretty good, man. You man, if you would have stayed healthy, like I didn't want that to be the legacy, right? And so mm -hmm. I, I wanted to have a different Im impact and uh, imprint in this community and in this organization. Um, and so, you know, when Jason called me when he took the job, J Jason Wright and I are you know former teammates, and uh, we we stayed in contact on the business front. You know, as he got into consulting, as I was transitioning out of the game, and knew knew some of the things that I was getting into and some of the projects that now I was working on outside. And he called me and he told me, shared his vision of, of what he wanted to do with his organization and how important alumni were. Like, you can't tell a story. You can't build a, you know, talk about legacy without 
alumni. Like they're the mm -hmm. only ones who can tell the story and bridge the gap, mm. right? So understanding how important this role was um, and to connecting and building relationships and, and cementing these guys' legacies. And so getting a chance to do that is, is definitely special. So you said you were teammates with Jason at one time. Give us some skinny. Give us some, yeah. some little, you know, something in the locker room because we see him now, like, right, as this as this really distinguished gentleman and yeah. caretaker of the franchise and all that. But give us some skinny. Maybe he did a little hijinks in the locker no, room. Look, you know what? Look, Jason would be the with the he would be the wrong one, the most boring uh, guy. <laughs> this is probably why they put him with me as a as a rookie with my eyes wide open, or it was uh, my second year, and I'm I'm still you know hanging out, having a good time. And I was focused, and I, I did what I had to do. But Jason was like focused, right? Like mm -hmm, right. good guy, like sharp leader. Uh, was always trying to tell me to do the right thing. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever, Jason, whatever, Jason. But <laughs> I mean, just the guy was focused. He knew what he wanted. He was, mm. I mean, he was smart as a whip. Uh, he drove a Ford Focus, which everyone, I remember guys gave him a hard time about it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm hitting Twitter he after this. Sure. Right, yeah. Driving a Ford Focus. No, no knock against Ford, but it's just like right. what you typically see in a, in a, yeah, in you're a making film, six uh, figures. So you think you're going to have a little yeah. Focus. yeah. He's shopping at Target. Like, mm -hmm. I remember buying you, you said you want some of the skinny. So mm -hmm. running backs, like we're known for good gifts, right? We, 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 we prided ourselves for exchanging good gifts during Christmas time. Um, and so I bought Jason a pair of like Gucci, like slippers, like loafers. And his wife came to me and she was like, this is the nicest thing he has <laughs> ever had. Like he, he, he didn't want to wear them, right? So he was just that kind of guy, but he just he knew what he wanted. He was focused. He was sharp, man. And uh, so it, to me, it's no surprise seeing uh, the opportunities that he's had and the success he's had. Mm -hmm. Well, we're, we're excited to have you with the, the franchise right now, bringing in those mm -hmm. other those other legends and the alumni. Um, mm -hmm. But it took a lot for you to kind of get there. And, yeah. and, and it took a lot for you to come back. You're the only player to have four, a four-year gap in between playing time. Could you kind of talk to us about that, that challenge that it was coming back from the injury that you experienced here in Washington to taking the field again uh, as a, in New Orleans? Yeah, it, you know what? I, it, it took – People ask me, like, man, what did it take? It took everything. It, it took everything, everything I had, uh, every bit of energy, faith, uh, resources, finances. I mean, it took everything. Um, there are days where I felt like, man, I was, I was like legit crazy. You know, mm -hmm. I was legit crazy for believing that I could do this. Um, and it was, it was just, it was a process that challenged me in every single way. It was draining. Mm -hmm. But it was the most refreshing thing. I remember sitting. I remember sitting outside of uh, the Saints facility, and Sean Payton calls me in. Right? It, it's you know, the Saturday is the last day of training uh, of mm. training camp, and they have up until two o'clock, whatever, to, to make the cuts. Well, I'm sitting there all day. I'm nervous, right? I'm nervous. I'm nervous. Because first of all, just to have an opportunity to be back, right? Which is, mm -hmm. but I still hadn't made the team, right? It's like all over again. I'm a rookie all over again. And he calls me in at like 158. And I'm like, man, you're freaking kidding me. This dude did not call me. He didn't wait to two minutes before the cut, the cut deadline to, to, to cut me. And so I drive all the way there and he calls me in the office and he tells me, Tim, 
you were the only person I called in to tell you that I was not cutting you. Mm-hmm. You made such an impact on this team mm. in such a short wow. period of time. I wanted to personally tell you how much I respected your your story, your fight, how you approach every day in practice. Man, I sat I sat in my car and cried like I had never cried before. Because again, when you we're talking about where you were tested for four years of everything that you had, and to have that like pay off and re, like the like to realize that dream, mm-hmm. it was more it was bigger than when I first got to the NFL. Though that emotion was it, it was mm-hmm. so much bigger, so much bigger. So that four year gap, what kept you in that motivation stage to to make a comeback to the NFL? Because that's Four years is a while. Some some players just yeah. say, I'll give up, like it is what it is, but you didn't. So what was the main thing that kept that drive going for you? Uh, you know what? My, my father uh, was a professional boxer, and, and uh, he actually was a football player at, you know, growing up, and then he ended up stepping away. He had a bad experience, and I remember him just living life with, reg- with regret. You know, he was always there for me, uh, and – you know, regardless of how proud he was of his kids, that was something that I always knew in the back of his mind. And I could tell he just there was this regret that he had for for not finishing what he started. And he would always talk to me about it. And it was something that, I, you know, especially, you know, as soon as I got cut a year later, you know, I have a kid and I have a son. So now it's it's bigger than just me. Right. Mm mm-hmm. I'm thinking about my dad and growing up and all the things that he talked talked to me. I'm like, oh, wow, this is what he was talking about. Right. He didn't know what it was going to look like for me, what my story, and my journey was going to be like. But I just kept thinking like, man, whether it's my son or whether it's other people, if I can just get back, I, one, I don't want to live life with regret. But two, if I can just find a way to, to push past this, mm-hmm. I can inspire so many more people by me just like finding out how to get through this. And so it was like that idea of just like, man, if I can only get like if I got through this, what would it be like? And just holding on to that idea uh, and just trying to like literally visualize that and get a picture of that. And and a lot of these stories that you're telling us now, uh, you know, we're we're in this book that that you wrote Mm -hmm. with William Sachs, a dream worth fighting for and and all this inspiration and everything that you had. What? Why did you decide after all of that? Why did you decide it was important to write a book? I didn't. I, it was decided for me. Man. Look, it, <laughs> I, look. I, you know, I talk about in the book. I didn't know how to how to how to categorize my career, right? Like, it, we all want like closure in life. We want closure from that relationship, right? We want closure mm-hmm. from that job, from whatever it is. We want closure. Like, we want some kind of some level of. Something being like finite, like this period, like this is what it was supposed to be, and it's done. Well, mm-hmm. I don't know. I I couldn't categorize. Mm. Like, was this career successful? It, it was. It, it fell short of the expectations that I had. I well, I made this amazing comeback, but then it fell short. I got cut in San Francisco unexpectedly. What to me was unexpected. So, I was a little frustrated and, and confused and unresolved and all these things. But yet, the more and more I started talking to people. Like when you step outside of yourself and start mm-hmm. and you start connecting with others who bigger than football, they're going through major life shifts and changes and they lost their job and their loved ones, personal health, finances, their home, like mm-hmm. all these things. And they start asking you questions about your journey. 
it became less of a, oh, I should write a book about my story of you have a responsibility hmm. to share the lesson that you learned in your life with the next person, right? That's mm -hmm. what it became. It became like a calling or a mission of like, Tim, if one person reads this, like you have a responsibility to share what you've learned uh, so that someone else could benefit. Because to be honest, that's what I did when I was in the hospital and I couldn't walk. And yet five surgeries in, four surgeries in, there's sometimes I just sat in my bed with a computer and read and watched YouTubes of other people's comeback stories and became inspired. So all I did was saturate myself with amazing mm -hmm. comebacks, stories of other people. And so why would I not share that with others? Well, it sounds actually kind of a little bit like your role right now with the alumni, bringing those stories of perseverance and, and that legacy in with the, the younger guys. Now, I know that you've had, you know, a few outings where they had like the rookies and you got uh, yeah. Sam Howell eating chicken nuggets at a, at a, <laughs> a steak restaurant. Uh, how have the current players been receptive to the alumni coming in and sharing those stories of their days and, and taking that knowledge from, you know, the legends of, of this franchise. Oh man, it was, it was special. Uh, well, first of all, they, they received it. Well, these guys are, these, these young guys are very perceptive. Um, and uh, from Jahan, I mean, seeing Jahan and Santana Moss and Gary Clark, just like connect, like that's, that's the piece, right? Like that's the, that's, I remember when I, when I played in uh, Arizona and a lot of the, I played with a lot of, you know, Antro role, a lot of guys from mm -hmm. you, James, they would always go back to the University of Miami and train. Like they always talked about how important it was for them to go back. But for them, it was setting a culture. Like this is the expectation. This is what we do. This is how you train. This is how you work. But also here's the reward and payoff. And those guys, like they had, you know, it was for, you know, two decades or whatever. That's what they did. And I always remember just like that example of like, hey, no, this is excellence. Those coaches didn't set the standard. You got Ed Reed, you got Edron James, you got Clint Porter, you got all those guys. If they had a season before that was not up to par, those guys were coming back in the offseason and they were going to have to answer to those guys, right? And so when you talk about building, uh, getting back to a, a championship level football and you talk about building on a legacy, again, doing it with those guys, you have to be able to impart that wisdom and make those connections to where guys see it. They see guys who have, transform this city when the whole city of dc i don't care who you voted for red blue independent you stopped and you watched washington football on saturdays they have no concept of that but mm -hmm. gary clark doug williams mark mosley joe, joe theisman those guys do right and so having some of those conversations but there's also it's a fine line because the older guys also have to be receptive of knowing how to connect with those guys mm -hmm. right and so there's a fine line and so me kind of being in the middle there, right, and making sure I'm connecting, I'm aligning the right guys there. I'm talking to the older guys ahead of time, the younger guys. And so we're making sure we're facilitating those di that dialogue and those relationships in an organic way. Uh, speaking of the alumni, is there any personal alumni that you, for you, that kind of had you starstruck when you first encountered or anything like that? Or if there is one, why is that person the, like, the most like that for you? Look, it, I... I, f I feel like that often because it's it's not just who they are. It's once you get to know who they are and what, you know, they're, who they are, what they're about. And from Brick Owens, who just passed, I didn't realize mm -hmm. how much he was behind policy 
in D.C. I mean, how integrated he was uh, into whether, again, policy and, and, and law and, and just uh, his community activism. Uh, somebody like Daryl Green, the impact that he's had. I mean, I've traveled around with Doug and to hear people say, literally, you're the only reason that I became a Washington fan. Right. Like regardless of what team they played for, they remember where they were when he won that Super Bowl. Like it was iconic for a whole like it was iconic. People were literally waiting like, you know, like a Sonny, like a, a, a Joe Lewis, uh, a Muhammad Ali type moment. Right. Like mm-hmm. it was that big for them. And so getting a chance to for me, I've learned so much about the history of the game from these guys, from guys who are playing, you know, talking to Sonny Jurgensen. And, you know, guys, what their contracts were like, what, you know, the social <laughs> climate, the political climate, the, the locker room was like, mm-hmm. all the way up until a Jordan Reed. You get to learn so much that I had no clue when I was playing football. I was just right. trying to learn the nose, right? So mm-hmm. for me, I feel like that often where it's so much bigger than the game. It's so much bigger, more bigger than the game. And so I'm, I'm very fortunate to, to have these conversations frequently. So let's transition, if we can, back to kind of your playing days a little bit and go back to maybe uh, high school or even in college. Was there a moment that you knew that you were a pro? Like there's a lot of there's a lot of guys out there who think they're pros, but there are only a certain few who know that they're pros. Was there a time that you knew that you were a pro? Uh yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of the best way to answer that question. Because, um, see, I I was fortunate. My, my parents, they, they raised me to, you know, just. Be like confident, this, I bet. This, yeah, like, mm-hmm. a, like, a, like an uncommon, just uncharacteristic, just a, a, a level of confidence of when you say you want something, like, it's done. Mm-hmm. Like it's done, and 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 that became like once I said I was going to play professional football. To me, at that time, it was real. Like it was real to me. It, it was that mm-hmm. real to me. Now, so for me, it was real then in fourth grade when I wrote it down on a sheet of paper. Wow, um, that's cool. It that's was just cool. a matter of like the timing of, and I mean, it, you know, my, my my father would tell me every single day, prepare as if, act as if. Mm-hmm. What would a starting NFL running back do? I'm in fifth grade. But it's those like conditioned to think like you're this pro athlete, right? So you have there, but then you have the manifestation of it. And I will really say before my senior year in, uh, during, uh, during my senior year, right before my senior year of college, where, man, I've been working and working, 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 working. But it was finally where all of that work, you could see it pay off. And I could see where even where I came in at the University of Richmond, by the time I stepped on that field and I was in shape, I ran like a 4-4 or 4-3. I was in that much better shape than everybody on that field. Mm-hmm. And I could I could see it. You could feel like, okay, I'm in a different level now. Right. And I performed that way that season. But you could just see the manifestation of it. So it took a long time, right, to develop those mm-hmm. skills. But I remember from that time to the senior year, I'm like, hey, okay, my, my, it's, it's time to go that's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Now, when you finally made the NFL, is there is there a moment 
that you remember like is there is there like is, is you know you've talked about your kids you do you have a highlight that you like showing them like this was your dad this is this is what he was capable of is there is there a go-to moment for you from your time in the nfl man i'm still making highlights that that's there that's, you go <laughs> look i, I they nice. have to they have to pull on me for for football stuff because i'm so bit so focused on like this next part and like Football being such an afterthought, like a period, not like, not like the ceiling. It's like the like the platform, mm-hmm. me to like build upon, right? So, mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm thankful and appreciative of, of, of football for sure, man. But no, they 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 got to pull on me for like football stuff. They're like, Dan, you know, um, uh, but if if there was one play though, it, it would definitely be the Eagles, the scoring that winning touchdown mm-hmm. to take. Uh, the Cardinals to send the Cardinals to the first oh, yeah. ever Super Bowl appearance. Yep. That was man, that was special for sure. That was special. I love it though. Still making highlights like that. Yeah. So Tim, what made you uh lose the dreads, man? What happened? <laughs> it was time, man. Look, it it, 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 it it really was when you go through that period of time, uh it, you you want like a fresh start. Mm-hmm. People talk about a fresh start, and so for me, I said when I Look, I talk about it in the book. I can't give away all. I can't give right. away yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason why I grew my hair that I talk about in the book, mm-hmm. right? And I refused to cut it until that happened, right? So it was like I made like this pledge. And so, mm-hmm. again, there were so many things that things that I was struggling with and being tested with and, and just kind of like getting rid of that I said when I got back, I was going to cut my hair. And so when I did that, that's what I did. So this is the this is like the goofy uh, portion of the interview here, right? So before before you made that that comeback with New Orleans in 2015, in 2014 you played in the Fall Experimental League. Now I am about as big a football fan as you can find. I've never heard, and you never will. Fall Experimental. <laughs> I never heard of. It. Yeah, what was that? What was that like playing in in a league that nobody's ever heard of when you're still chasing that dream? Humbling, hum- yeah. humbling to say the least. Look, I write about the whole story in that book, but yes. let me just tell you this: it was something like out of out of uh, what's that movie, Little Giants, where you should they show mm-hmm. up there's like a box of of, of uh, equipment. Yeah. I showed up there at that locker um, in New York, Coney Island, and literally, there's guys who have never played professional. Forget college; they've never played college football. <laughs> Half of them probably never even played high school football. Yeah. And I'm sitting there with my dad, and I look at him. He looks at me, and I look at this box of equipment. They're like, "Hey, yeah, dig in." <laughs> I just had to start laughing, man. I had to. I just started laughing. And I'm sitting there thinking. How did I just go from being yeah. a running back to I'm digging yeah. out of a box in a random high school locker room to play football? Am I really this crazy? Mm. Um, it was it was humbling, but it was a great experience because it was one of those things where the lesson in my mind that I'll never forget is when you decide to do something, it doesn't matter what, what gets you there. Your only commitment is to that end goal. Mm-hmm. And whatever it takes to get there, it's just a part of the process. And that was one of those stories where it was a part of the process. <laughs> you got more books coming for us, Tim, or this little one and done thing? You know what? I'm gonna keep living life. That's I'm gonna focus on that. Look, I'm gonna keep executing at the highest level and having the greatest impact. Um, and if there's something to share, 
I promise I'll share it. If it can help somebody else, I promise I'll share it. Nice. Well, you did talk about still making some highlights. Now, we hope that those highlights come here with the Burgundy and Gold, the Washington franchise. But what is on the horizon for Tim Hightower and his family? What do you got going on? Oh, man. Well, yeah, I, I, I got to push the, I got to push that four. I got to have four kids, two boys, two girls and a wife, man. And they they are I'm, I'm as fierce as it can be when it comes to purpose. My wife included. I, I do not. I'm like a dog with a bone with it. I, I want them to do what it is that's in their heart to do. It's like so that's my number one. Like I want to see them all fulfill what it whatever they've placed on this been placed on this earth to do. That's number one. Number two, I'm I'm very, you know, aside from this um this role here with Washington and really submitting the legacies of, of these guys and connecting our past and our present. Um, I'm really big into real estate and community development. So uh, you'll see some communities develop uh, soon in one day and, and, and really uh, having an impact for the way people live and changing the way people live and communities are designed and things like that. Everything, it starts at home. The lessons that we learn, the impacts that we have, it starts at home. And so in order for me to have an impact, I got to have to impact the way people live and, and where and how they live. So that's a little bit of a review. Very nice. nice. Love to hear it. Uh, this is Tim Hightower. You can pick up his book, A Dream Worth Fighting For. Never let obstacles stop you from being your best self. Talks about his injury, his determination, faith, and courage to come back to NFL. We appreciate you, Mr. Hightower, for joining us Thank here you. on After the Whistle here on Ref the District. And until next time, be a fan. What's up, guys? Thanks for watching. Trevor here, one third of Ref the District. Be sure to like and subscribe this channel for us, please. We greatly appreciate it. And after that, take a look at some of this extra stuff we got on our channel, too. You don't want to miss it. And always, be a fan. You know, when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.